Well, good morning. Got your Bibles. Turn with me to John chapter 15. John 15. Our main idea, if you've got our sermon notes, you should see the main idea at the top. You'll see it on the screen in just a minute. That's going to be the main idea for the next two weeks. We're going to look at verses 1 to 17 over the next two weeks. And we're going to work through about a verse 11 today. Um, but this sermon and next week's sermon is inseparably connected uh, with our main idea. And As you're finding your place, uh, thank you, Jordan and Abigail, for leading us today. They're, they're interns at Parkwood. Parkwood is our sister church. They were our sending church. They planted us some seven years or more ago. And um, we are, as your pastor, Micah, who leads our worship every day, we are all products of the leadership development at Parkwood. I remember, I thought about that this morning, I remember when I started having to preach every week. You know, you can preach every once in a while, but when, when you got to do it every week, I can just remember that that elephant felt huge. And one of the guys at Parkwood said, sit down here, let me, let's talk about this. Let me, let me help you, let me show you. Uh, and we are, we are here today and preaching the gospel today because people invested in our life, and we are called to do the same. And with that in mind, let us stand and hear the words of Christ this morning. I will explain the context, but let's hear God's word this morning. John 15, I'm going to read from verses 1 to 11. Jesus speaking to the disciples. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of God. Let's pray. God, our Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, who, who came to this earth, who dwelt among us, who lived a perfect life, a life we could not live, and went to the cross for us, taking our sin and our shame, past, present, and future, to the cross with Him, and rose from the grave. Lord, it is in His name that we come to You today. We have gathered here today because, Lord, we desire to do what the text says and abide. I pray that everyone here, and I pray for those that are listening today, that we are here today because of our love for You and our love for Your Word. And so, Lord, for those who have come for that reason, 
Fill us with your spirit. Pour your grace and your wisdom that settles us and gives us rest and gives us joy and sets us on a mission. Lord, give us that today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you think of God as Father, what comes to mind? Because I'm a pastor, these all have to start with the same letter. It's just, it's just a rule. You think of favor, frown, fury, family. Something comes to mind when you think of God as Father. Let me help us. Some of us have to think a long way back. You remember when you got your report card when you were maybe 8, 10 years old? Had all, all A's and B's, maybe one D. When you handed that to your father and he looked at it, what did he say first? Because that has an impact done millions of times throughout our life. See, for many, they would, they would get that report card and dad would say, you know, this is a good job. You've got a good thing here. We've got one grade here that's down. We, we've got to see what we can do to get that up. Many may have felt to where the dad looked at that and the first thing he did is slammed it on the table and says, you're grounded. What, do you, how are you going to get into college with grades like that? The 10 years old sitting there going, man, I was just trying to decide between, you know, Fruit Loops and Captain Crunch this morning. I didn't realize my whole college was going to be jeopardized. But even more than that, if you didn't have a father present in the home, you didn't hear anything. There was no one there. There was no approval. There felt like no one really cared. This affects us. This affects us. This affects the way we love other people. The way we love our own families. The way we love those that we're called to love. It has a dramatic effect on our life. And so today, we, before we get to the expression, we back up and begin to say... Let's make sure we understand our Lord right. Let's make sure we understand our Father right. Because who or what we abide in determines the quality and the fruitfulness of your life. And listen, just like making disciples, we are all abiding in something. So who is this God? Moses wanted to know. Exodus 34 verse 6. The Lord said this. The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is God. This is Father. So the context, we've been away. If you've, if you've been here a little while, you, you don't maybe not even know that we're really in John. <laughs> I worked till chapter 15. We were going to do a four-week uh, series in the Holy Spirit and then jump back in chapter 15, but your pastor had a heart attack. And so we, you got to go through not only the Holy Spirit, you also got to go to 1 Peter. And that is providential. God was in charge of all of that. And so we are back. And remember, John spends the first 12 chapters from about chapter 1, verse 19, to chapter 12, verse 10, going through the life of Christ in a fairly decent fashion, reasonable speed. And then in chapter 12... About verse 12 to chapter 20, he slows down, and we have eight chapters going through one week. 
and the life of Jesus and his disciples, covering not only his death but his resurrection. All of that for one reason. So turn with me to John 20. Let's remind ourselves the reason we are in John. John 20, verse 31. It says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and listen, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So John is concerned. Remember, we've talked about this many times. John is concerned about the now. The abundance of your life now. And he's teaching us, the reason we titled our series, Behold and Believe. He wants you to behold God as Father. So that you might believe in the Son and have life. And so this is what we call the upper room discourse. And he is encouraging his disciples. The cross is around the corner. Look at your main idea. Jesus is encouraging his followers to abide so that they may have a fruit-filled life. That's what we're going to look at today. But this life is motivated by love and expressed in hospitality. Now, maybe hospitality is a new word to you. We're going to talk about that a little bit today and more next week. And I want us today to start where we should start. Let's look at five lessons we can look in this text for fruit-filled living. Have you got that image on the screen? Don't usually use images, but the Bible uses a lot of metaphors, and they are very helpful. They can also be very dangerous. And so I imagine there's a few people who's ever had uh, grapes that they grew. They had to prune them. Anybody ever... Had that been a part of your life? I knew I knew my brother Phil did. My dad's done a little bit. That, that, that's both the danger and the good of it. There's, there is idea of the shepherd metaphor because we're not shepherding that it does loses its power that it had on the people who originally were looking at it. And so this image is helpful because we have the sermon to some degree. John 15, we have the vine and we have the vine dresser we have the branches and we have the fruit. This is the metaphor that he's using today in the text that is imperative that we understand it. It's also imperative in a metaphor to not underthink it or overthink it. And so let's just look at it. We have the vine and the vine dresser, and then we have the fruit coming from the branches. Let's look at the vine's identity. Verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, the vine, we have to go back into our Old Testament a little bit because this metaphor is not simply a new covenant thing. They, this picture of a vine or a vineyard is used all through the Old Testament. The vine in the Old Testament was a symbol of Israel. Uh, turn with me to Psalms 80. There's many, many places we could go here. I just tried to pick out some that was the clearest. Psalms 80, look at verse 8. The psalmist speaking, talking to the Lord. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. 
This was none other. The vine was Israel. It was the Lord's people. And the Lord both desired and deserved a rich harvest from his fruit, from his people. Problem, right? We know this if you've read your Bible. Israel never produced the fruit that the Lord desired. Turn with me back now to Genesis 22. Let's think about Abraham for just a second. Genesis 22. Sin had swept through the earth and contaminated the world and all hope seemed to be lost, but God chose for himself a people out of the midst of the idol-worshiping pagans. His name was Abram to become Abraham. Here's what the Lord said. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And yet God said in Jeremiah 2, chapter 21, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy a pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and became a wild vine? Instead of obeying by faith, Israel went their own way. They looked at the world and sought to become like that. You see, grapes make wine. You can see it sometimes called the fruit of the vine. And as we have already got through seeing, and God makes everything for a purpose. The fruit of the vine, now this metaphor, the way they would see it, is to bring both refreshment and joy to the hearts of men. So turn with me to Psalms 104. I just want you to see this. Psalms 104, by the way, is just one of those super encouraging passages to read orients us toward our Father. Psalms 104 says that our Father causes the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth fruit from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. This was what Israel should have did in their lives as God's people but what they failed to do in the fullness of time God sent his son who took up residence and dwelt among us and he would not fail Jesus came to give a people joy and spiritual rest remember Matthew 11 take my yoke this came from the Gospel Coalition from a guy named Tremper Longman. He, he summarizes it this way. The New Testament authors understood Jesus to be the culmination of the Old Testament. He is the last Adam, true Israel, the suffering servant, the son of David, the faithful remnant, the ultimate prophet, the reigning king and final priest. So who is the vine? Jesus is. He is true Israel. He is the offspring promised to Abraham that was fulfilled 
Galatians 3.16. Not only that, what did Jesus do in the upper room? But take a cup filled with what? Wine, the fruit of the vine. And used it as a metaphor. I will pour out my blood for you. Jesus is the vine. His father is the vine dresser. And the vine dresser is always purposeful. Look at verse 2. Speaking of the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. So what's the vine dresser's purpose in this text? He prunes the fruitful and he removes the unfruitful. He prunes the fruitful and he removes the unfruitful. That is his purpose and he has never failed to fulfill his purpose. He desires, look at the text, more fruit. And if you're going to go back to the vineyard illustration, if you want maximum grapes, maximum fruit... You have to prune it back sometimes so much that it even looks counterproductive. I mean, someone has to teach you how to do that pruning. But it needs to be pruned to be fruitful. That's the metaphor. Last week we said that the Lord has both saving grace and sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace is pruning grace. It is to remove anything that inhibits our growth. He is concerned about our life. And so the Father does his pruning. He does this as we just got through speaking a minute ago through his providences. We do not believe in fate. We do not believe in luck. We believe in providence. Whatever God wills will be, will be. And our lives are governed by that providences. I did not have a heart attack by accident. We needed that. I needed that. God loves us and He always does things for a purpose. He prunes us providentially. The purpose is to make us fruitful by increasing our faith in Him. But oh, how important it is to understand His Father. You see, if you had the daddy who was always hollering, who never felt like you could quite Make it. We have an idea that we then read God's Word and we see that through that lens. You must get rid of that. Proverbs 3.12 says this, The Lord reproves him who he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. Do you see that? The pruning comes from love. It comes from the fact that he delights in us. We are no bother to him. This is why the Lord wanted us to study 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says it this way. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's doing something in our life that we can only imagine. And his pruning snips that he uses is primarily his word. Look at verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. 
So the afflictions, the testing, the trials, the difficult seasons in our life are meant to drive us somewhere. It's meant to drive us to His Word. We communicate to God through prayer. He communicates through us through the Word of God. It's all meant to increase our faith. I still remember my brother who's, who died of cancer. When he had that cancer, used to quote Psalms 119 all the time. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Affliction drives us to the word. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul's instructing a pastor. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Listen to these things. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And if you've got that passage, just look at those words. Teaching says, here's the right way to believe. <laughs> reproof says, you're wrong. Correction said, here's the right way. Sometimes it's not right and wrong. Sometimes it's better best. Here's the best thing to spend your time. Here's the best way to spend your life. And then training gives you the equipment you need. All of this centers around his word. It is the way he prunes his own. We have the vine. We have the vine dresser. And you have the branches. The branches are characterized by two things. Their need and their fruit. Their need and their fruit. Let's look at the need. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself and let it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Now who do we say the vine is? Jesus is the vine. So the branch's need is ultimately the vine. We are the branches. Our ultimate need is Christ. So, what is this text talking about? I'm not going to get in that to this as much as I'd like to. You have these apparent branches some of which abide and bear fruit, and some are not abiding and are not bearing anything. The vine dresser is coming along then and pruning those that are bearing fruit and cutting off and destroying those that are not. The answer, these are what we call in today's culture the nominal Christians. They call themselves Christians. They attend churches, they, they hang around with other Christians, and they may even grab a hold of the moral framework and live by that. The problem is, baptism doesn't save you. You're not, you not a vine because you're a member of a church. You're not a vine because you come from a godly family. It's what it's teaching us. The true and only proof of salvation is fruit. It's fruit. It's not a prayer you prayed when you were eight. It is the fact that the sap of the vine runs in you. That's what makes you a branch that bears fruit. You can look at Galatians 5, 19-23. It cannot be clearer. 
There are works of the flesh, and they're evident. There is the fruit of the Spirit, and they are evident. And only one of those are believers, those who bear the fruit of the Spirit. The point is, the branch has no ability to bear fruit without Christ. In other words, the point is, the branch needs Christ. The branch wants Christ. The branch has both us in Christ and Christ in us. I think I was trying to remember last night. I think it was Paul Tripp. It could have been somebody else. I had to read a lot, study a lot, and forget a lot. <laughs> Is that we oftentimes can take apples and tape them to orange trees and think that because they're taped on there that you are actually an apple tree. So all you really have to do is wait because the fruit will rot and fall away. The need is Christ. And along with that, the need is abiding. This is a word that is very important to John. It's one of those key words of the whole book. The need of abiding. Verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Now he steps out of the metaphor and begins to explain what he means by this metaphor. That the Lord's people, his disciples, the ones that are headed to the cross and will walk away from him, must abide. That word abide means to remain. It means to lodge. It should bring up John 1. He incarnated himself and dwelt among us. He abided with us. It's present active. He abides and he keeps on abiding. That's what he's telling us to do today. Keep on, persevere, don't stop. What does it mean to abide? Well, I love men who say things better than me, so that's why preachers quote. <laughs> I think it's on the screen. It's J.C. Ryle. He has two sentences here. Both of them, I couldn't find a better definition of what it means to abide. To abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant, close communion with Him. To be always leaning on Him, resting on Him, pouring out our hearts to Him, and using Him as the fountain of life and strength, and as our chief companion and best friend. So do you see the first key component to abiding? It is our intimacy. It is our communion with God. It is our normal pattern of life. He is our best friend. We're going to talk about that next week. And if that's true, then the second sentence is also true. Continuing to quote, To have His words abiding in us is to keep His sayings and precepts continually before our memories and minds and to make them the guides of our action and the rule of our daily conduct and behavior. This is what it means to abide. Listen, and it doesn't mean anything else. To say we love Jesus is to say that we love to persevere and the center of our life is how do we abide more and more. And what we have just experienced is COVID, as churches started coming back into the building and people were gone, was nothing other than God's pruning hand. Because you don't have to tell a Christian to gather to worship his Lord. 
He's going to worship Him. If He has to gather with the cows and do it, He'll worship the Lord. We abide because of our love for Him. This is sobering. There is a high cost to not abiding. There is a high cost to be a fruitless branch. Look at verse 6. Speaking of that which is to come, He will cut them off, throw them away, and they will be burned. There is in this a promise. And the promise is those who abide will produce fruit. You shouldn't take this as shame slapping this morning. If it is, you missed the whole point of the message. The promise is fruit. The promise is that the vine produces something in the branches. Here's good news this morning. I'm not and you're not the vine or the vine dresser. Amen. That's good news. I don't save anybody. God didn't put the pruning shears in my hand. He's the vine. Jesus is the vine. The Father's the vine dresser. I'm a branch. I'm beside of you. We're trying to bear fruit together. Right? We're all dependent on the same one for that fruit. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Isn't that a powerful promise? Now you have to go back to your definition of abiding to make sure you don't start saying, oh yeah, well that means this, that, and the other. What would it mean if I was so close to the Lord and His Word is so close in my mind that He governs my actions and my relationships and everything? He says, with that kind of abiding, ask whatever you wish. In other words, abiding produces the fruit of powerful prayers. They're powerful. You ever been around a prayer warrior? You know it when I'm prayed for you. James 5, 16 said the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It's amazing. Our sovereign God uses our prayers to accomplish His will. Verse 8 says all of that, this abiding brings glory to our Father. It brings joy to our lives. And this brings glory to our Father. Your father does not get joy by making you miserable. He gets joy by making you like his son. Where there is fruit, there is life. Again, pulling from a guy, J.C. Ryle, paraphrasing. He says, those who desire a little Christianity and only a little of the fruit of the Spirit need not wonder why they enjoy a little peace, a little hope, and leave behind a little legacy. There is the vine. There is a vine dresser. There are the branches, and the branches are characterized by both their need and their fruit. But all this is important, and we'll, we'll talk about this again next week. The priority of having a motivation. And so... What we are saying this morning is if you are struggling in your fruit production, we must first go back to our motivation. 
Why do we want that fruit to start with? What's the point of the fruit? What is the Father doing in my life? What has the Son commanded me to do? Do I really care? Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. To be a Christian is to be loved. Loved by God, the one who creates and sustains all things. Jesus is saying here in verse 9 that His love for us and the Father's love for us is like their love for each other. This is why we can't be snatched, you see. Because we're family. I had this conversation with my kids the other day. What would it be like to have a father who if you got a D on your report card said, start over? No. As the father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in that. In that. This is first. This is chief. The fruit's going to come. The motivation has to be right. Love motivates obedience. Obedience won't produce that. It produces legalism. Love motivates obedience. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Little rule here to interpreting verse 10. Until you understand the Father's commandments and the Son's obedience, you can't understand yours. What motivated that? What was first? Love. This is not love like the world. Oh my goodness. Where love means just acceptance. No, no. This is when we begin to talk about love. You need to hear agape. This is God's love. It is a sovereign love. It is a love that, that loved us when we were His enemies. It was that love. It is an unfailing love. It is the love of the Psalms. It is that love. It is covenant love. He loves us. And that love produces obedience. Psalms 40, verse 8 says this, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I am not obeying to try to earn something. I am obeying precisely because I am loved, and I am abiding in that. Love precedes joy. Love is essential to fruit. And here's where we're going next week. Love for God produces our love for others. And when we have no love for the stranger and no love for our church members, we need not wonder what we are lacking. We're lacking a love for God. Because a love for God simply produces this. And so first things first this morning. So what? So what? Are you confident in Christ's love for you? 
We don't need to do anything right now. We just need to know something. You need to know one simple truth in your life to accomplish whatever God has for you. You need to know that His love for you is settled. It is fixed. It is eternal in the heavens. You must know that. You must know the character of His love. And so, I don't know of a better place than Ephesians for that. I'm sure there is. We could have a conversation about that. But let's look at Ephesians 2. Can I introduce you to something this morning? We're going to get into the weeds of this next week. Can I introduce you to God's hospitality? You say, hospitality, I hadn't heard that word much. Well, it's a biblical word. You know, we take words in another language and interpret the words that we can understand. You should like hospitality because it has the word hospital in it. We'll talk about that. It is brotherly love to strangers. That's what it means. So can I introduce you to this and ask you if you're confident in this? And you and me, verse 1, were dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at the work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then look down to verse 12. It gets worse than that. Because of that, you are alienated from Christ and you are a stranger to the covenant. Outside of God's agape, that's who we were. But that's not the rest of the story, is it? Now look up back at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Do you see that? God's sovereign love expressed itself in His love to a stranger that was alienated from Christ and dead in their trespasses and sin. You are a God-hater child of the devil, but God made us alive in Christ. And listen... Here's what we're saying. When you understand that, what that produces in us is something that cannot be quenched. It'll bubble up. But that's not all he did. Do you see it? Verse 6. He's not done. Notice this is all present tense. And verse 6. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him where? In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why in the world do we now, right now, right now, have a seat, the child beside the Son of God? Because of His mercy. You see, the, because of His grace, because of His love. Verse 7 So that in the coming ages, 
Look at this. That he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Do you see that? God was hospitable to strangers who did not deserve it. And he sits us at the table with the king of glory. We have nothing to boast about. You see here, verse 9. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so let us do them. Because this is who we are. Do you know that this morning? Are you confident in that? Is that your story? Could you tell it? That's my story. And if, it's, if you're in Christ, it's your story. This is the joy of Christ that begins in the gospel, that bleeds out into our life. John 15, verse 11, he says this. These things I have spoken to you. Listen, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Our love for Christ will be expressed to those that we love. Our love for Christ will be expressed in our life by those that we are called to love, even those that are unlovable, even that the world thinks of those that are unreachable. He calls us to set our love on Him like God set our love on us. And in that, we will be driven not only to abide, but we will experience the fullness of joy. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, your word is inexhaustible. Your characters, sometimes we cannot even comprehend the love that you had for the Son and the Spirit before the foundation of the world. But Lord, we long to. We long to love as you love. So Lord, as we respond, Lord, we have our hands open wide because we need you. Many of us need to feel that love. And so Lord, remind your people who they are. Lord, even now, even now, Lord, with those that are being called put their faith in your son in his life and his death and his resurrection and would you bring life to them today as you did us so will you do those that we love fill us today Lord as we respond to your word Fill us today as we leave this place, Lord. Remind us now, Lord, as we come to the tables that there is nothing we could have done to be saved. And it took the sacrifice of your only Son, Lord. And so as we remember, as we drink the cup, let, us rem let it remind us of your love for us and giving your Son for us. As we crunch the bread in our teeth, let us remember the high cost of our salvation, the high cost of our adoption into the family. Let us celebrate it together.
Lord, receive our worship and fill us with your spirit. As we sing to you, as we remember you, as we give to you, and as we go in you. In Jesus' name, amen.